Peter chapter 2. We're just studying through the book of 1 Peter together. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that is page 1015. And go ahead and stand. We're going to stand together in honor of God's word as we read that. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Give you a moment. Again, that's page 1015 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Hearing pages turn, it's all wait, it's okay. Take your time. No sweat. All right, first Peter chapter two, verses thirteen through seventeen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the Emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's God's word. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Luke. And uh, it really, truly, it, it truly is a blessing for me to get to speak to people who um, have their Bibles open and are attentive and actually want to hear what I have to say. Um, Christian high school, totally different. They know it all, anyways. And so I'm basically wasting my time teaching them the Bible because, you know, they they could do my job much better than me. So their ideal day would be. Can we just watch YouTube videos? Like, if I came in and said we're watching YouTube videos today, I would, I, they'd, like, start singing my praises. They'd be like, we love you, Mr. Benzinger. Oh, yes, we do. Like, that's what they would do. So grateful that there, is, there are people like, teach me the word. That I don't feel that very often. So now our passage is particularly relevant for us, right? 23 days from now, we're either going to have a new president or we're going to reelect our current president. And this passage speaks to, so government is a big deal in our culture right now. And this passage speaks to how does a Christian relate to the government? How should we as citizens who are also Christians behave in a world that can be hostile to us? And is it different, should we interact differently if it's peacetime versus it's difficult? What, what is our role as Christians in America? Would that role change if we were Christians in Iran? Does God have anything to say about this? Or is he just like, yeah, that's all earthly stuff and I don't care because I'm all about heaven and that's what matters to me. Does any of the stuff that we've talked about in 1 Peter over the last month, does, does any of that impact the way that we interact as citizens within our country? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And for the most part, Christians and the, the U.S. government, we've had a peaceful coexistence. But in many parts of the world, that's not the case. Persecution has been a typical, regular part of the history of Christianity for the past 2,000 years. I've had a chance to see small snippets of this. Once in, in Ukraine, where I spent some time and met a pastor who spent six years in jail just for being a pastor. And then also, in, in the fall of 2010, I spent a week and a half in a Muslim country. Now... I don't want to say the name of the country because they like warned me, like, don't say, don't talk about what you did and all that. So I'm being very general. But just to say, in this country, there were no traffic laws, literally none. Like, you could go 100 miles an hour on one side of the road 
and on the other side of the road is a camel pulling a cart. Like, and everyone's on the freeway doing this. There are no lines in the freeway, so there's a lot of this. Some people are going like 40, others are going 120. People are running across the freeway. It was nuts. No laws there, no pollution laws, no laws regulating garbage, no building codes, no noise restrictions after certain hours. But it was, it is still illegal to convert from Islam. It's illegal to witness to a Muslim. It's illegal to do what I was there to do, which is to train former Muslims to be missionaries to Muslims and plant churches. We were very concerned the government would find out what we were doing. In fact, at one point, uh, we were getting ready to leave, and, and the guy who I was staying with is like, we're not going to where we were going to go. Our, 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 our place, our, our meeting place has been compromised, and so we're going to go somewhere else. So it's like, compromised? Like, is this CIA spy stuff? Like, what's going on here? I never knew any of my students' real names. They all had made-up names. I couldn't take any pictures of them so that if I was caught and interrogated, I couldn't give any info that would reveal their identities. They, they lived with the knowledge that they could be arrested and harmed and maybe even killed for what they were doing, for, for obeying Jesus' call to make disciples. That, that, that this is what could happen to them. And I knew that I could be in serious trouble for training them to do so. Hostility towards Christians, regular part of history, and in fact, this was the, this was the environment that the, the church that Peter is writing to, this is what they were facing. They weren't facing physical persecution from the government, but they were facing various trials, Peter says, things that he describes as harmful and evil. They were suffering under these fiery trials, Peter calls them, which involved slander, lots of slander, insults, being spoken against as evildoers, being reviled. That word reviled, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't use that word very often, but it's a word that describes the piling up of vile language and verbal abuse. It's like the spirit of Bill Maher lived like back then, 2,000 years ago, and they just were constantly after these Christians. All of this was undeserved. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were, they were doing everything right. In fact, they were being, chapter 2, 19 and 3, 16 says they were being slandered for their good deeds. Now, it would be easy for a Christian to think, who cares? Right? If, if that slander is reaching government officials and those officials are like, I wonder if that, that stuff about the Christians is true. Are they bad? Could they really be threats to us? Could they be threats to our way of life? Are they a menace to society? If that was seeping into the, to, to the, the officials of the day, easy for the Christians to go, cares about the government? Doesn't really matter. Doesn't care, what, who, who cares what they think about us? This is not our home. And you know what, they'd be partially right. In one sense, this is our home. We live, we, we grow up, we get older, we go to school, we, we enjoy family and friends, we work, we worship God, we serve each other. All of that happens here, but in a very real sense, this is not our home, right? Chapter 2, verse 9 says that we, we, Christians are described as holy. We're different. We're distinct. We're separate. We're, we're not from around here. We don't fit in. We don't belong. And 2, 9, and 10 says why we don't belong. It's because we belong to God. We are his possession. We are his people. He owns us. We, we belong to him. Our home is heaven. We are aliens here. We, we, we proclaim his excellencies, you learned last week. We proclaim his excellencies here as resident aliens, living in a place that's really not our home. We are citizens of heaven. We don't belong here because 
We belong where God is, and since he's there, that's where we belong. So when, so when my wife and I were in Europe this summer, we obeyed the laws of these countries, but we didn't care about the elections in Germany. You know, We weren't driving down the countryside talking about the various ballot measures in Geneva. You know, like We were just passing through. And is that how Christians should be, just kind of aloof and apathetic like tourists? This passage says, no way. Whether it's peacetime persecution, whether it's democracy or dictatorship, freedom, tyranny, even though we don't belong here, even though our citizenship is in heaven, we have some obligations to the government. Now, the first time you're like, okay, I thought people weren't supposed to talk about religion and government, and you're just putting them both together into one message? Like, not used to that. Well, we're just jumping right into scary stuff, and that's the way it goes. But what Peter is showing us, I'm not afraid of that, we're fine. What Peter's showing us here is that in general, the big idea, if you don't walk out with anything else, the big idea is that as citizens of heaven, we should show respect for and obey the government. That's how Christians make Jesus look good. We make Jesus look good in this culture as citizens of heaven by showing respect for and obeying the government. Now look down at the text. Where do we see this? We see this in verse 13 where it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And now drop down to verse 17, where it says at the very end, honor the emperor. So beginning and end with this idea, big idea, we should show respect for and obey the government. So before we can do that, let's think about that for a minute. Showing respect for, coming from this idea in verse 17 of honoring, this, this is holding the government, holding its officials in high regard, whether they deserve it or not. Being subject, verse 13, literally submit yourselves, humble ourselves, come under the government, subject ourselves to its authority, obey the laws, follow its directions, do what it says, consent, comply, submit, that that's what we're supposed to do. So before we can even do that, there's, there's something that Peter is assuming here that we need to talk about, and it's the idea of where does government come from anyways, where does this, where, how did government get here? Doesn't the text call it a human institution, a human creation? Like on the surface, that's what it looks like. It looks like a human creation. But what we find out as we read the Bible is that behind what we see, we learn that God actually invented government. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. You can see it up on the screen where it says, God removes kings and sets up kings. Who does that? God does. Presidents, senates, Congress, all of that. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. The Most High rules the kingdom of, of men and gives it to whom he wills, meaning he gives it to who he wants. Proverbs 21, 1. What about the decisions of the government? Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, God, turns it, turns the king's heart wherever he wants wherever he wills. What about Pilate? Pilate had the authority to do the most heinous thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. He was given the authority to put the innocent son of God to death. And John chapter 11, 19 verse 11 says, Jesus speaking to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Romans 13.1 just summarizes this whole idea where it says, let every person be subject to the governing authority. Sounds familiar. Same as our passage. Why? 
because there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. As you think about God, does your God have that much interaction with the world around you? Is the God that you serve, as you think about that God, do you see him as instituting all of these things, all of these governments? If we're ever going to be people that show respect for and obey our government, it begins with this. We need to point number one, understand all government is God-given. So if you're taking notes, if you want to take notes, that's big, that's, that's the big idea we already gave you. Point number one underneath that, how are we going to do that big idea? First, we understand all government is God-given. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Romans 13, 1, he institutes all of it. That doesn't mean he agrees with all of it. That doesn't mean he's like, great, genocide, awesome. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying that all of this somehow is working out in his plan. He alone rules over the kingdoms of men, doing something in every revolution, in every election that we can't even begin to understand. There's so many variables. See, we look at it from just our little perspective. There's so many things going on. He's working something out in this world, both in this macro big picture in every country and this micro small picture individual level of every person. And one of the ways he does this, one of the ways he works out his plans is Daniel says he sets up governments and he knocks others down. He gives some countries victory while others disappear. Back to that Muslim country I spent two weeks in. Despite the persecution that Christians regularly face, the family I stayed with had a deep trust in God for their country. When I would talk to them about their country, you could just hear their faith in him, their trust in him. The pastor's son, my translator, he told me Christians are frequently passed over for jobs. They would, you, you go to school, you get your degree, and then you go apply for jobs, and there's no chance you're going to get that job. Why? Because on your little ID card, there's a little cross, or it says Christian. And automatically, they're getting menial jobs. Automatically, they have to live in the worst parts of town. Easy for them to do stuff like say, God, why'd you put me here? Why don't you change this? Why'd you install this government over me? Why aren't you fixing this? What are you doing? But instead, they trusted God's wisdom. Instead, they trusted his goodness. And then that trust in God, it, it fueled their obedience to First Peter. It fueled their honoring of their emperor. It fueled their submitting to their, their government. It, it gave them a strength that's not all that common. In fact, many of the government officials were friendly with the pastor, and they respected him because of his godly life and because he respected them. He showed them respect. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, we're going to have elections in uh, just over three weeks. How will you react on November 7th, the day after the election, if your guy doesn't win the White House? Will it be the beginning of the end? Will it be the end of democracy in America? Will it be the end of the world as we know it? Will your heart be ruled by anxiety, doubt, fear about the future, regardless of who wins? Or will your heart be ruled by faith in a God who deserves all your trust, who's working all things, including our government, for your good and his glory? Will your reaction show that, that, you ref, that it reflects a trust in God to give you what you need? Or is your heart attaching itself to a presidential candidate and who's acting like your functional savior, who's going to give you what you need and everything I need and putting all of my hope in him? Be careful of that. Understand that behind what takes place on November 6th is a God who's working everything out exactly as he wants it. Why? No idea. 
famous dead preacher named Charles Spurgeon would, would, would help his congregation. He said this a dozen times throughout his sermons when he would say to them, when you cannot trace his hand, when you don't understand what he's doing, when his ways are not completely clear to you, when you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. Is that how you're going to respond? If you respond that way, then that's the first step to saying, I'm going to honor the government. I'm going to obey the government. I can do that. Why not? Because I'm great, but because God is at work in me and I trust him. I trust that he's doing something that I can't explain. Now, all that was introduction because that's not even in our passage. Look back at our passage, 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 13 again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So, verse 14 again. Verse 13 and 14. Whether it's the emperor, the one with supreme authority for us, I guess that's the three branches of the federal government, or it's governors, those for us would be state, local officials, whether it's supreme authority, lesser authority, whoever it is, both should be respected, both should be obeyed. So we can't say like, yeah, that building code, that's a Queen Creek thing. We don't have to worry about that. Oh, that hunting license. Yeah, that's this area, but who really cares about that? I do what I want. We can't do that stuff. No matter, we can't say based on the level of authority, I, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to do that. We come under all authorities, regardless of how much authority they have. And we do that, verse 13, why? Verse 13 says we do that for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? It means that you need, point number two, you need to see yourself as a representative of Jesus. If you're going to obey the government, if you're going to show respect for it, then you need to see yourself as a representative of Jesus. We submit ourselves, we honor our government because we represent Jesus on earth. Our representatives, they're supposed to do that, right? They're supposed to work for us and do what we want. So down here, we, we work for Jesus and we do what he wants. This means we don't submit to the government for our own sakes, when we feel like it, when we agree to, to gain some advantage by our obedience, what motivates our humble submission, what drives our obedience is, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Which means two things. First, for the Lord's sake means that we, we are representatives of Jesus as we imitate him. So think about it. First John 2, 6 says that Christians walk as Jesus walked, walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So how did he live, how did he walk when it came to the government? Well, he was not a revolutionary. He was not an anarchist. He didn't start riots. He didn't encourage his followers to do the same. He rebukes Peter when Peter tries to. Instead, what does he do? Submits himself to the government. Submits himself to Caiaphas, to Herod, to Pilate. He respected their authority. He didn't resist. He didn't protest. He didn't scream, injustice, this is not fair. This is not, I'm an innocent man. He didn't do any of that. He subjected himself. He obeyed, and so should we. So as good representatives, we, we imitate him. And second, second, way, second thing this means is for the Lord's sake. What does this idea convey? It conveys imitation, it conveys reputation. We're imitating Christ as we subject ourselves to the government for the Lord's sake. And we're, we're, we're giving him a good reputation. Because when we choose to follow Christ, when we choose to say, okay, I'm going to say no to myself and what I want, and I'm going to obey the government. What I'm doing is I'm saying that his will is more important than my will. What he wants is more important to me than what I want. And when I do that, say no to myself and yes to him, I make him look good. I glorify him. This is 1 Corinthians 10.31, applied to the government. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including how you interact with the government, how you interact with the laws of the land, you do all of that for the glory of God. 
So it's making him look good. It gives him a good reputation when Christians are known for not being disrespectful and disobedient, but being respectful and obedient. We don't want to ruin our witness. We don't want to tarnish Christ's reputation. We want to enhance it. We want to make him look good with our lives. And we do that by respecting the government. That gives him a good reputation. It gives him a good reputation for those around us who are Christians. It gives him a good reputation for those around us who aren't Christians yet. So we respect, we obey, whether it's the U.S., Arizona, our, our city, not because they're always right, not because they're fair, not because they, they're smart, not because it benefits us. We, we submit ourselves and honor them because that's what Jesus did and because it makes them look good. Again, my pastor friend in this Muslim country told me about many officials that he was able to pray with, that he was able to witness to, men who could throw him in jail for doing so. And he said simply because he showed them respect, he obeyed when they told him to do things, he showed, defer- he showed deference to them, and that enhanced Jesus to those people. They saw him as like, what's, what's different about you? Now, some of you might have thought, wait a minute, you're telling us these verses are encouraging Christians to show respect for and obey all government authorities, but you open the sermon with an illustration about how you and these other ex-Muslims were actually breaking the law. Like, aren't you contradicting yourself? I hope you felt that tension. I'm sure that at moments of me speaking so far, this little inner lawyer has been, been, been screaming, objection, objection, what about this, what about that? What if I was in Nazi Germany? Should I hide Jews? Like, what, should, what about this? What about that? I'm glad, you've, I'm glad your inner lawyer has been there because it's important that you saw in the big idea the words in general. In general, as citizens of heaven, we should show respect for and honor the government. In general is a critical part of that statement. Saying our normal, everyday stance as Christians should be humble obedience, submission to the authorities over us, regardless of who they are. Peter penned these words when Nero was the Caesar. He had ultimate, absolute authority. There has been no one in the history of our country as sexually deviant and psychopathic as this guy. I could tell you like all this crazy stuff this guy did. You would sit there and go, oh my gosh, thank you that I never lived under that. And even under that psycho, Peter saying, submit yourself to every authority. Hmm. Because having authority over us doesn't make the government our God. Having authority over us doesn't mean that their authority is absolute. God's authority trumps any other human authority. Peter, remember, he says that we are God's people, his possession. And Peter's not naive either. He writes verse 14 where it says, Governments or emperors are sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He knows they sometimes do the exact opposite. How does he know that? Because he saw the government do that to Jesus. Verse 14 is his way of saying this is what they're supposed to do. This is what God created them to do. But what if they start doing the opposite? What if they start punishing the good and rewarding wickedness? We just went through Daniel, right? What did Daniel's three friends do when there was a command sent out to everybody, worship this idol or you die? What did they do? Set up a website, you know, start a campaign, start protesting. Daniel 3, 3.28 says they, quote, set aside the king's command. They set aside the king's command to obey the second commandment to not worship idols. In other words, they disobeyed their government. They humbly submitted to the consequences. What did Daniel himself do when told praying to God was a capital crime? 
What did he do? He goes to the top of his house, opens his window so everybody can see it, and he prays three times a day. He prayed anyways. He humbly submitted to the consequences. And it says, Daniel 6.22, that he was blameless. Well, he disobeyed the government, and he was blameless? Why? Because God always trumps men. That's what Peter did. The guy who penned this letter, who wrote these words, is the same Peter who in Acts 4 and 5, when he was strictly charged by the Jewish officials, do not preach. His response to them was dissent. Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. We must. So there may be times, these times are rare in our country, rare in history, but they can happen when God's laws and men's laws conflict like they do in Muslim countries, where they punish conversion from Islam to anything else with the death penalty. Or like they do in Canada, where they punish those who lovingly, yet firmly and clearly teach what the Bible says about homosexuality. When the government encourages or even demands that we sin, when what the government says either keeps us from obeying God or actually encourages us to sin, as citizens of heaven, as God's own possession, obligated to disrespectfully disobey and humbly accept the consequences in obedience to God, trusting him in everything. Why? What do we do that? Because of point number three. Point number three, we've wrestled with this and we've come to the conclusion where we admit, admit that you're a slave to God and everyone else. That's what, that's, what Paul, that's what Peter says here, right? And at the end of verse 16, living as servants of God. How are we going to accept the consequence? How are we going to do what God wants when that could even cause us serious harm? We're going to say, you know what, God? You're in charge of me. I'm going to do what you want. A good slave recognizes that. Now, this word in Greek is the word that means no rights, no say, complete and utter existence for the benefit of somebody else. That's what this word means. ESV like kind of softens it by saying servants, but the word means slave, completely owned by someone else. Do you think about yourself as a slave of God? I mean, we don't like, I mean, we, this country started in opposition to tyranny, you are not going to tell us what to do. Our country was, was kind of founded on these ideas. The government is being evil, so we're rebelling against that. You're not going to control us. We are in control. And that's built into our Constitution, this kind of freedom. Like, the government is really us, right? We, we have this special government where we, like, install the people through voting who then we submit to. And then here's this passage that says, no, actually, your freedom is coming because you're a slave. Freedom and slavery. Let's take a look at that. Verse 16. Live as people who are free. Okay? Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So we're servants and we're free. Is this a contradiction? And the answer is no. Christians are not free to be anarchists. We're not free to disobey. We're not free to do whatever we want. That's not freedom. That's tyranny. Because that's living under the domination of sin. Freedom exists where we can control ourselves without someone else controlling us. And the Christian controls themselves with this one idea. What does God want from me? One of the things that dominates the thoughts of the Christians is what, what does God want from me? 2 Corinthians 5.9. It says... We make it our aim, we make it our goal, we make it our desire, our ambition to please him. 
that the Christian is dominated by this idea, I want to please him. Well, though, that's, that's slave language. That's slave language. That's the talk of I'm not in charge, someone else is in charge of me. You can see this slavery idea in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He gives another reason why we should obey and respect our government. For this is the will of God. This is a good thing. It, it silences people like Bill Maher and others who would slander Christians. But don't miss the implication. Don't miss the big idea. It's good to submit for all of those things. But don't miss the big idea that this is the will of God. We submit because this is what God wants. This idea drove Jesus, right? He said, my food is to do the will of God. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. This is, this is what drove him because, because Philippians 2 describes him as a servant of God. And why does this motivate us? Why, why do we see that and go, this is the will of God? And the assumption is, I'm going to see that and go, okay, I want to do that. Because we're slaves. We've been bought with a price, right? We're God's own possession. He purchased us with the blood of Christ. Therefore, we live for his benefit. We live for his glory. We live to make him look good because we're slaves. And what does the servant of God look like in relation to politics, the government, and the state? What does it look like? What is the public face of servants of God supposed to look like? How should we interact with the government as well as the world around us? That's verse 17. Verse 17 is the description of the slaves. This is the model Christian citizen. This is the one who silences slanders. This is the one who gives Jesus a good reputation. They're slaves not just to God, but to everyone else too. Look at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. First, the model Christian citizen honors everyone. The word means to value. It means to esteem, to, to hold in high regard. This doesn't refer to mindless tolerations of other people's sins and opinions. This refers to, this strikes at the heart of racial and social discrimination. This upholds the dignity of every human being, whether they're flaunting their sin or they're hiding their sin. This upholds their, this upholds their dignity because all of them are made in the image of God. So we're to honor everyone. Imagine if the world and, and, and the governments looked on the Christian church and saw a people who were marked by honoring everyone. That would change. That, that, would, that would give Christ a good reputation. Second, model Christian citizens love the brotherhood. All human beings should be respected, but there should be a special bond between Christians. It's compared to what we should be, what, what should be the most loving, united, loyal association we know of in this life, family. And we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but we're to love each other like Christ loved us. John 13, 34 says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Imagine the government, imagine the society, the culture, looking at the Christian church and seeing us love the brotherhood, love the other Christians around us like family. That would give us, that, that would change a lot of the perspective of the way the church is viewed in our culture, and it would make Jesus look really good. Third, the model Christian citizen fears God. Now, I struggled with this concept. I, I mean, I used to ask every, when I first became a Christian, I was constantly asking people about what in the world does it mean to fear God? 
until I understood the fear of man. The fear of man, also called codependency, peer pressure, refers to being dominated by the knowledge that others are watching. So people who struggle with this believe or actually know that, that people are watching them, so they act in such a way, whether it's through clothing or words or whatever it is, they, they act in such a way to maximize the approval of people and minimize disapproval. So the same idea as the fear of man is the fear of God. Fear of God is living your life being controlled by the truth that he's watching. And he's not watching with a scowl on his face. He's watching with love in his eyes. And the thought there is I want to please him. I want to maximize his approval. I want to minimize his disapproval. Why? Because I love him. I can't believe he would save me. He loves me and I want to please him. Imagine people living dominated by the idea that God is watching. That could make an impact on our culture. And finally, the model Christian citizen, though they fear the Lord as their highest authority, they merely honor the emperor. Though we don't treat the state as our God, the verb is the same at the very beginning of the verse. It's to value, to esteem, to hold in high regard. And this is what I've been speaking of the whole time, to respect the government. If you'd like more specifics on how to do that, I've just given a couple suggestions here. Number one, consider your influences. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. In other words, do your sources of information about the government. Encourage the kind of respect and obedience that we've been talking about today, that, that God is calling Christians to. And how they talk about the government and how they act towards the government, does it, does it hinder this or does it encourage this? It's much harder to imitate Christ and celebrate him. It's harder to trust God as in control of all things. It's harder to submit to the authority of the government when what you're listening to and what you're watching is teaching you to do the exact opposite. Second, obey the laws. Obey the laws. This is everything from speeding laws to zoning codes and hunting licenses and all that stuff. Like, again, this is what we're, this is what we're called to do in this passage. Third, pay your taxes. That's pretty, pretty simple, pretty explanatory. Pay your taxes. Four, pray for your government. First Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. So make a list, keep it in your Bible, include them nightly, pray for your government. One more that's not up there that I just thought of in the first service is get involved. Submission in our government is different because like I said, we put the people in charge through voting that we then submit to. So we can't even begin to submit ourselves to the government if we're not voting. I know Christians are like, oh, I'm not part of, the, I'm not part of this whole stuff. No, you should be a part of it. This is the, the beauty of, of the, the government we have here is that we submit to the leaders that we vote for. And so get involved. And some of you, that may mean run for office. It's too late now. But some of you may need to be uh, a Joseph or a Daniel or an Esther or a Nathan the prophet who goes into those environments and affects real change and influences people. That may be you. If we live like this in public, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, and honor the king, if those four directives determined the public face of Christianity in the United States, how awesome would that be? God would be honored, opponents would be silenced, many would see that Christ is awesome, and maybe some would even flock to him. Now, sadly, if I'm honest, uh, 
I don't do any of this stuff, or I do very little. This has been such a convicting passage for me. My wife will tell you that I hate the government. I hate being told what to do. When Luke asked me to preach on this passage, as soon as I saw it in my email, I was like, no, I hate the government, and now I've got to preach on obeying it? This is crazy. Like, my sinful heart hates to do something just because the authority tells me to do. I'll do it if I agree. I'll do it if I think it's good. I'll do it if it benefits me some way. But obeying when I don't agree, obeying when I don't see the point, obeying when I think people are stupider than me, forget it. Like, I'm just like inside, I'm going, no, I don't need a nanny state to tell me to put on my seatbelt or not talk on the phone while I'm driving or all these other things. Like, I don't need that. Like, I can take care of myself. Thank you very much. That's, I mean, when I moved here, I said freedom is alive and well because I can drive and talk on my phone at the same time, unlike the Soviet socialist state of California that I moved from, like I can do that. And I thought, this place is awesome. And I know I'm not alone because I know we're all rebels against authorities. It's not just teenagers, it's all of us. You probably didn't want to hear about submission this morning. You're probably going, great, this is just what I came to church to hear about submission to the government. Awesome. That little attorney's been, objection, no. What about this? No. This whole time. But I can honestly tell you, as, while studying this passage, like I've seen the gospel change my heart. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm seeing Christ like, like change the way that I'm trying to joyfully submit to God by submitting to the government and trying to like honor them. I've seen this new motivation over the past like couple weeks where I'm uh, to want to respect the government to want, like, holding my tongue when I want to say something awful about this or that thing and just going, no, I'm supposed to respect. Why? Because I want to imitate Christ. I want to celebrate him. I had this whole new motivation. I mean, even driving over here this morning, like, I'm driving on Ellsworth, and there's, the speed limit is 45, and I see I'm going, like, 60. I'm like, no, I'm going to preach on this. Like, you can't do that. Like, <laughs> slow down. Like, and then as I'm slowing down, I'm, I'm slowing down. I get to 45, and I'm going, this is so stinking slow. Like, I hate this. I hate this. But then I'm sitting there going, no, like, this is good. This is right. Like, you're imitating Christ by submitting to the government. Like, do it. I can tell you none of these things are happening. They're not coming from me. I'm the exact opposite, but it's coming from the fact that the Spirit is using His Word to begin to change my heart and work these truths into my life. So let's pray that God will do the same in yours. Let's pray. God, thank you for this truth. Thank you that by submitting to the governments that you've put over us, we are demonstrating a trust in you, the one who is in control of all things. Thank you that we, we get to, to represent Christ by imitating him and making him look good with our submission, with our obedience and our respect. And thank you that we demonstrate that we're slaves of you and everyone else, that God, you're working in our hearts and our lives to, to show people that you're really in charge and that we wanna follow and love you. And so God, please, take the truths in this passage, work them into our hearts, and allow the things that this passage says will happen to happen, that we'll have a public face that is attractive, that silences objections and is good and, and, and right and makes you look good. God, do that, please. 
not just for those benefits, do it for the glory of your name. Make yourself look good through our submission, through our obedience, through our respect. Do that, please, I pray. Amen. Amen. Ouch. That's what you guys all feel like every week, huh? Listening to, to that. That's uh, it's a good reminder. All of life is all for Jesus. All of it.